Act 2 of Woodbarrow Farm by Jerome K. Jerome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act 2. Scene. Morning room in a handsome flat. A showily furnished room, rather ostentatious and loud in its decoration and appointments. Large table in bay window, right upper corner, fireplace right, doors at back left centre and two in left wing, small tables right and left, easy chairs left and right. Breakfast is laid on a large table. It is a gorgeously laid meal, silver and plate in profusion, and a great number of dishes, tea urn and coffee urn, a boiling kettle, flowers and ferns in vases and stands. One, a large wavy one, is at left edge of table, close to Allen. The table, in short, is crowded and showy to the last degree. A magnificent footman in gorgeous livery is standing behind, and Mr. Piffin, in solemn black, waits close to Allen's chair, a dish in his hand. Alan is discovered sitting left of table and eating his breakfast in a most melancholy fashion. He looks intensely miserable and awed. The terrible solemnity of the whole affair has depressed his spirits to their lowest ebb. He glances nervously now and then as the meal proceeds, from the footman to the valet and vice versa, as they silently and with much ceremony walk about and wait on him. The fern by his side keeps getting in his way, tickling and irritating him, but he dare not move it. He eats in silence, and when he does speak, does so in a humble, deprecating, nervous manner. He is dressed in a loose morning costume. Music to open act. Piffin standing by Alan's left elbow, centre, Peter's right of table, right. May I get you a little pâté de frogois, sir? Alan, looking round. I beg pardon? A little pâté de frogois, sir. Patty who? Goose's liver, sir. I think you will like it. No, thanks. I never eat liver. It don't agree with me. I will have a bit o' the bacon, though. No, sir. It is not dressed that way, sir. I would get used to it if I were you, sir. You will so often come across it. Peters, just pass your master the pâté de frogois. Peters goes to do so. Alan, who has just turned again towards his breakfast, is about to take up some gravy from his plate with his knife. Piffin checks him. I wouldn't lap up the gravy with my knife, sir, I don't think. It's never done now in good society, sir. It, it's the best part of it, you know. I always thinks the gravy. Yes, it's very tasty, sir. It's unfortunate it's so sloppy. And, you see, sir, eating it in that way does not show off the figure to advantage. Peters, remove your master's plate. Peters does so, placing it a few feet beyond Alan's left hand. Alan watches it with jealous eyes. Peters then holds up the pâté de frogois to Alan. 
He slowly runs his eye up Peter's with awe, then looks at the pâté de francois, then, using one hand, attempts to take it. Peter's, not moving a muscle, holds it tight. Alan seems surprised, and, partly rising, attempts to take it with both hands. Piffin, coming to his rescue, cutting a piece and putting it on his plate. Allow me, sir. Peter's, the brown bread and butter. Peter's, looking for it. It is not on the table, sir. No brown bread and butter? Dear me, how remiss. Crosses left and rings bell. Peter's also crosses left centre door. Alan looks cautiously around and sees they are not watching him, and stealthily reaches over and secures a knife full of gravy. He is about having a second and has the knife close to his mouth when he becomes aware that Piffin has returned and is watching him. He tries to hide the knife out of sight. Peters has returned with bread and butter. Peters, remove your master's knife. Don't you see that it is in his way? Peters does so and then holds the bread and butter to Alan, who takes a thin slice folds it up and holds it in his left hand, while taking the pâté on a fork in his right. He first puts the pâté, and then the bread and butter, into his mouth, and swallows them. I must apologise for serving you your breakfast in here, sir. Of course, you will not have it in the drawing-room as a rule. No, of course not. No, I always used to have it in the kitchen at home. Yes, sir. Must have been very convenient. But I think I'll get you to put up with the breakfast parlour in future, sir, when the room's ready. Have you quite finished, sir? I think I'd like a little more of that pie. Looking longingly at pie at the other side of table. You see, I always were a hearty eater. Yes, sir. I'm delighted to hear it, sir. But I wouldn't eat any more breakfast, sir. You will find it is considered correct among bon vivants to eat a very sparse déjeuner. My late lamented master, the Count of Frisiani, never partook of anything but a cup of weak tea and a little dry toast, and he was one of the oldest families in Europe. Alan rises. Peters bows as he does so and Alan returns the bow and comes down right. Ah, I shouldn't have thought as anyone could have lived long on that. He bows. No necessity to bow, sir. He did it. Indicating Peters. He's paid for it. I always seem to want a good feed myself in the morning. Takes out an old clay pipe and prepares to fill it. Goes down right and sits in chair. Peters is clearing away the breakfast things. Are you thinking of smoking, sir? Yes, I always has a whiff or two after breakfast. It's very soothing, sir. My late lamented master, the Count of Frisiani, used to follow precisely the same course. But I wouldn't smoke a pipe, sir. Pipes are going out in good society. Takes cigarette case from pocket and offers it to Alan. Takes pipe from Alan and puts it on a corner of table, right centre. 
I have some cigarettes here, sir, which I think you will like, sir. These are much more fait, sir. This case is a present from my late lamented master, the Count. Alan looks at them and gingerly takes one. Uh, which end? Piffin, lighting match. Either end, sir. Allow me. Showing matchbox. Another little souvenir from my late master. He was always acknowledging, if I may say so, my value to him. That sort of thing is always done in good society now. Light cigarette. It is a full-flavoured one, sir. Piffin takes Alan's pipe from table right centre, crossing with it to window right. Alan, watching him anxiously. Oh, don't hurt him. Piffin, turning round. I was just going to put it outside the window sill, sir. No, don't put him there. We used to sit up together of a night watching the sheep. I don't like the thought of putting him outside the window. Now I'm a gentleman. Drop him in the pocket of that old shooting coat of mine that thee won't let me wear. They know each other. Sits right and smokes his cigarette. Piffin puts the pipe on table and returns right centre. Piffin, noticing that Alan is looking at his cigarette. All right, sir. Yes, yes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Puffin. Piffin, sir. I were looking to see if it were a light, that's all. You will soon get to like them, sir. And whenever you are ready to dress, sir. Dress? Why, I be dressed, ain't I? Oh, only for breakfast, you see, sir. I understood you were going out walking, sir. Why can't I walk in these? Oh, no, sir. All London would laugh at you. Lord, I should never have thought as they'd take so much notice. Rising. Ah, well, I'll dress. I don't want to upset London if I can help it. I'll dress. Exit left. Bows to Piffin as Piffin does so to him. No necessity to bow, sir. Aside. Uh, I've got a big job on here. Exit Piffin, following Alan left. Piffin immediately returns, having forgotten the pipe, which he takes. He is recrossing left as enter Dexter and Clara centre, preceded by Peters, who takes tray from table right centre and exits up left. And I've got to live in the house with this. Dexter, coming down. Good morning, Piffin, good morning. Having a quiet whiff? Thank you, sir. My stomach does not permit my indulging in the luxury of a cutty pipe. Is Mr. Rollis about? He has just this minute gone upstairs to dress, sir. I will let him know you are here, sir. No hurry, no hurry at all, Piffin. We are before our time. You are not looking well, Piffin. Anxiety, sir, may be anxiety. You see, Mr. Rollet's unacquaintance with the manners of the Boas Prix throws much responsibility on myself. 
You must be careful, Piffin. What would he do without you? Piffin, smiling. Well, I'm afraid he would be a little up a tree, sir, if I may be permitted a vulgarism. Moving to door left. I will go and acquaint him with your arrival, sir. Takes plate from table left and puts pipe on it. I'll send him to you directly, sir. Smells pipe. Shag. Exit lower left. Thank you, Mr. Piffin, thank you. Always be affable with your inferiors. Never know when you may want them. Clara, by window, looking out. Do you come across many of that sort? Comes down right of table right. Ah, you beast, you vixen. I wonder you don't cut yourself with that tongue of yours. Clara, turning round with a hard laugh. At fireplace, right. You must be pretty sharp if it goes through your skin. Ah, you damned... Enter Alan, left. He has on slippers and a smoking coat. Don't he look at us too closely? I ain't properly dressed yet. Clara, right centre, turns head away. I don't think we'd had better look at you at all under those circumstances, Mr. Rowlett. Laughs. Oh, I'd be covered up all right everywhere. I'm merely a man as a wasn't up to fashion plate standard. Crossing centre. And how be Colonel Dexter? Shaking hands. And jolly, my boy. And how's yourself? Oh, I be spry enough. Crossing before him and shaking hands with Clara, and keeping her hand. I think us'll have a pleasant day. Clara, right, looking tenderly at him. I'm sure we shall. Crosses to sofa, stands at head of it. Well, you young folk will, I know, and the old folks will be happy looking on. Sitting and taking Clara's hand in his and fondling it. To see his little girl happy, that's always happiness enough for old Jack Dexter. Clara, leaning over and kissing the top of his hand. Silly old dad. Dexter, taking out his handkerchief and pretending to weep. Ah, like her mother, like her mother. Uh, her, her mother must have been rare beautiful, mustn't her? Dexter, centre, rising and taking Alan by the hand. Thank you. Ah, Mr. Rollitz, you have never known the blessing of a wife. Clara looks at him. Do you not understand the feelings of a widower? Weeping. No, but... <laughs> but I, I hope to one day... No, no, I don't mean that. I... Uh, have they had breakfast? Yes, thank you, Alan, my boy. I'll have another. No, thanks, not today. What's the matter? Off they feed? No, my lad, but we old folk ain't like you young country ones. Nothing at present, thank you. Pauses. To eat. Have something to drink. Both men laugh, each in his own distinctive way. Dexter turns left and catches Clara's face. 
There be some rare old whiskey in the library. Thee'll find it on the sideboard. Dexter goes up center. And it be more comfortable, like in there, than here. I'll just go and finish making myself beautiful. Crosses to left. Don't be too long. Dexter has his back to them. Wine business at table right center. <laughs> oh, no, it oughtn't take me long to do that, ought it? Goes to left door down stage, laughs, and then to Clara as he is going. I am not likely to stop upstairs long when I know these downstairs. Go away, go away. Exit Alan, down stage left. Business. She kisses her hand. And I suppose you will go and throw this chance away, like you have every other. Well, what if I do? What if you do? What are we to live on? Goes to Clara, left. Goals, I suppose, as we always have done. Yes, and is it a pleasant living? Is it pleasant to have to slave and trick for every dinner? Is it pleasant to be kicked sooner or later out of every society one goes into? Was it pleasant to be buried for two years in that godforsaken hole by Exmoor, not daring to show our heads above ground for a moment? You've got a fine chance of being respectable now. Too late, I'm afraid, though. Too late? Yes. You see, Papa dear, you haven't exactly brought me up in that way, and I'm afraid I'm too old to learn now. I don't think I should be quite at home as the wife of a piously brought-up young man from the country. <laughs> Leans back, laughs. And so you're going to let six thousand a year slip through your fingers? It's wicked, it's wicked. Clara rises. <laughs> well, it hasn't slipped through my fingers just at present. It is sticking to them pretty freely. Toys with ring. And how long do you think he will stand you playing with him? Oh, a good long while yet. Dexter puts hat on table. That's just where you're making a mistake, then. He's not a fool. He'll want an answer, yes or no, soon. And what are you going to say then? Clara, looking out of window. No. Looking into fireplace right. Dexter, after a pause. Luke Cranbourne's at the bottom of this. What devil's game is it that's going on between you and him? I do wish you wouldn't drink when you're coming out anywhere. It always makes you so noisy. Take care, Clara. You seem to forget I'm your father. The relationship was none of my seeking. Whatever responsibility attaches to the unfortunate occurrence is not mine. Dexter, making movement as if to strike her. Clara? Clara, facing him with quiet contempt. A pause. Put down your hands, father. That period of my life is over. Dexter steps back, then throws himself into chair, leans his head on his arms, and bursts into tears. Dexter crying. My own child hates me. Clara crossing and laying a hand on his shoulder gently. I don't mean to be hard, father, but 
You can't expect much love and duty from me. Curses and blows were all you ever gave me as a child, and ever since I became a woman, you have merely hopped me about as your decoy. Dexter, whimpering. I only want to do what's for your own good. Clara turns away left. Yes, but you must allow me to be the judge of that. And come, you haven't had much cause to grumble up to now. You've been able to be drunk every night for the last three months. Dexter rises, centre. I ain't been drunk. Takes hat off table. Not for you, perhaps. Drunk in the ordinary sense of the word. And I will get you something today if I can. Dexter drying his eyes. God bless you, Clara. You're a good girl. Do you think you'll be able to get a twenty? You must leave it to me. I'll get you as much as I can. Alan, off left. Thank you, Mr. Puffin. Piffin, off left. Piffin, Piffin, sir. Clara, moving away towards door. Come into the next room now. Here's Alan coming back. Dexter, as he follows her out. Say what you want to help a poor woman who's very ill and has been ordered nourishing food and... Gags. Exeunt Clara and Dexter, upper left. Enter Alan and Piffin, left. Alan is completely dressed in the height of walking costume and is evidently very uncomfortable. Enter Peter's, centre. Peters puts photocase on table, right centre. Exits down centre. Alan has on hat and coat, and Piffin is carrying his umbrella and gloves. Alan should be got up in a slightly exaggerated masher style. He is smoking a cigarette. I can't breathe, Mr. Puffin. Oh, you will soon get used to that, sir. And would you please remember my name is Piffin, sir? Taking his hand. Why, surely these are nines, sir. I think we could get them down to eight and a half. And if I were you, sir, I would show a little more cuff, sir. It's always done in good society, sir. Besides, it makes the hand look smaller. A little cuff, sir, goes a long way in good society. Thank you, Mr. Piffin. Shakes his hand. Thank you, sir, but I don't think you ought to shake hands with me, sir. And when you do shake hands with your friends, sir, allow me. Takes Alan's hand. Shake high, sir. Shakes his hand high. You'll see it's always done in good society, sir. Lord Carmichael's man told me he met you yesterday, sir. I... I don't know him, do I? Oh, no, sir, but he knows you, sir, and he was rather complaining of your walk, sir. Why? What's it got to do with him? Oh, well, sir, knowing as I'm your coach, sir, he meant it as a friendly hint. You have rather a countrified walk, if you will forgive me for saying so. A more negligé style is adopted by the Savoir-Vivre now, sir and a more insouciant manner of carrying the umbrella. You walk too much in this way, sir. Taking up umbrella, gags and imitates. 
Lord love us, do I walk like that? Just like that, sir. You see yourself, sir, what a very undistinguishing appearance it presents. The present fashionable style is more like this, sir. Performing an exaggerated Piccadilly dawdle. See, sir, body a little forward, knees stiff, and a slight wobble, sir, a very slight. Handing Alan the umbrella? Perhaps, sir, you would take the umbrella and try it, sir. Alan attempts the business, crosses to right. Piffin, criticising Alan's practice. A little more bend, sir. A little wobble, sir. Umbrella held lightly between the first and second fingers, sir. Alan goes left. And if you could manage, allow me, sir. Takes umbrella, shows him, and returns it. To swing it right round now and then, sir. It adds great aplomb. Great what? French, sir. Alan swings umbrella round awkwardly. Like that? Not quite like that, sir. A little more airily, sir. Alan, swinging it. Does it ever put anybody's eye out behind? I don't think that point is considered of much importance in good society, sir. Oh, that is much better, sir. If you would practice like that a little every day, sir, you would soon pick it up, sir. A little more bend, sir. And, uh, don't forget the wobble. Exit left downstage. Alan goes on practising to himself, making as much fun as possible, consistent with comedy, out of the business. As he is in the middle of it, enter Mrs. Rollett and Deborah, door centre, the door being opened for them by Peters. They stand centre, staring aghast at Alan, who continues unconscious of their presence. Alan gags. Oh, soon pick it up. Strikes me someone will have to pick me up. It puts me in mind of one of our old turkey cocks. Mrs. Rollett and Deborah come down stage a little. Alan, business in right corner of stage. Peters withdraws, grinning. Deborah, after a long pause, clapping her hands. I know what it is, Aunt. It's our Alan. Alan, seeing them. Mother! My boy! They rush into each other's arms, centre, and Mrs. Rollett gives him a huge hug, gets right of Alan, Deborah, left. Then he and Deborah have an embrace, then he and Mrs. Rollett for the second time. Alan, in the middle of Mrs. Rollett's second hug. Hold hard! What's the matter, lad? Summit's gone. What? I don't know. Somewhat behind. Drawing back right and looking down at himself. Mother, you've spoiled me. Ah, they used to tell me Ayala's did that, lad. <laughs> Deborah, after gazing in silent admiration at Alan. Oh, Aunt, isn't it lovely? Look at its hat. Mrs. Rollett, critically examining his clothes. Ah, and there's some good stuff there, too. Moving away, Deborah going near and sniffing. 
Oh, oh, doesn't it smell nice, and oh, look at its collar. Alan, pleased, begins to plume himself. Deborah begins to laugh. What's the matter with the collar? What are you laughing at? Trying to look at his own collar, Deborah's laugh only grows, and Alan's indignation begins to rise. What's the matter? What are you laughing at? Deborah, laughing more and more, goes to walk round him. Turning round so as to face her, his collar prevents him from turning his head, and he has to walk round. What are you up to? I want to see it all around. Well then, you can't do it. I ain't a show. What are you laughing at? There's nothing to laugh at. Mrs. Rollett laughs first time. It's your ignorance, because you don't understand things. What are you laughing at? Mrs. Rollett, who has hitherto sat right looking on, now also begins to laugh, and she and Deborah go on laughing more and more, Alan growing more and more indignant. I am surprised at you, mother. Deb always was a... The two women only laugh louder, and Alan, in spite of himself, begins to laugh too. Afterwards he joins in heartily, and all three laugh, after which they have another hug. Business. Mrs. Rollett, exhausted. Well, lad, and now dost thee like being a gentleman? Well, it's got its drawbacks, mother. There's more work about it than you'd think for, you know? But I think I shall be all right. I've got a good man learning me. He were teaching me to walk this morning. That was the park stroll I were practicing when you came in. See, mother? Imitate stroll. Ah, well, has made a good man of ye down in Devon. I hopes they don't spoil ye, lad, in turning thee into a gentleman. Ah, no, mother. It's only a polishing up the outside. I'm old Exmoor Oak. Puts his hat and umbrella on table right centre. I hope, right through. And they can't hurt that. When did you come up? Sits right centre. Only yesterday and us went to Mrs. Clouter's and slept, and then us come on here this morning. And how long can you stop? Well, us must start off tomorrow sometime. Tomorrow? Oh, nonsense, mother. Nonsense? Why, bless the land, they wouldn't have me away on Saturday. Why, who'd pay the wages and see to everything? Why, there's Rogers there, ain't there? Ah. They might just as well leave the key of the stable in charge of the old bay mare as trust him to look after anything except his own inside. Alan, after a pause, Mother rises, goes up to Mrs. Rollett, right. What do you want to go back at all for and work and worry yourself to death? Let me take a little house up here in London for thee and Deb, and then we can all be together. And leave the farm? Deborah, turning round. Oh, Alan. Why not? You worked hard enough, Mother. Give the farm up and enjoy yourself. Enjoy myself? Away from Woodborough Farm? Why, lad, thy father were born there and brought me home there, and he died there, and thee were born there, and there be the pigs and the poultry. Begins to cry. Alan tenderly patting her. All right, 
Mother, all right. Let's all keep it on. Mrs. Rollett, wiping her eyes. And they might want to come back to it themselves some day, lads. Alan, laughing. Why, they don't think I'm going to run through two hundred thousand, do you, Mother? We Devonshire lads win fortunes, not lose em. Ah, no, lad. But he knows the saying, Roses blossom for a day, but stout old ivy's green all way. Thee ain't likely to lose the money if thee can help it, lad, but us all be in God's hands, and I'll be easier in my mind if the farm's there for thee to come home to. If anything happens, thee knows the way across the moor, and thee knows how the latch goes, and me and the lass will be inside to welcome thee. Alan goes left, takes Deborah's hand. Ah, I know you will, mother, both of you. Music, piano. Leastways I shall, and the lass until her gets married, I suppose. Deborah goes up a little, gets right. Until her gets married? Deborah goes to Mrs. Rollett right, tries to stop her speaking. Ah, the lads ain't all fools. I never seem to think o' Deb's getting married somehow. Well, other folks have. I can't fancy the old farm without Deb. Lord, how lonesome it would be. Deborah, who has been trying to stop Mrs. Rollett, has come down and stands by her aunt left. Oh, it's only Aunt's fun. Goes to Alan, left centre. I'm not going to get married. Sure, the pigs and cows are worried enough with their foolish ways. I don't want any husband. Ah, thee will some day, of course, and when thee does, we must make thee comfortable, lass. Taking her hand. Thee shall have the best farm in all the country, and the best dairy, and the best stock. Thank thee, Alan, dear. Turns up stage. Mrs. Rollett, rising. Music dies away. Well, lass, I suppose us had better have a clean down and summer to eat and then see about our bit of shopping. Lord help us, if I ain't forgot all about em. All about whom? Why, Clara, Miss Dexter, and her father. They be in the library waiting for me. Oh, don't let us keep you from them. Oh, I shan't go out this morning now. Gets hat and umbrella from table right centre. I shall get them to stop here instead, and us can have a nice quiet day all together. Going towards door, lower left. Come on, mother. Crosses to centre. I've got a room fitted up a purpose for thee and Deb, with a roost just outside the window with a cock and three hens in it, and he crows all night. Exeunt Alan, Deborah, and Mrs. Rollett downstage. Enter Baron von Schnorr, one, and the Honourable Tom Gusset, two, ushered in by Peters, centre, three. Enter Luke, centre, and Dexter, upper left, four, afterwards Clara, five. Baron goes down left, Gusset right, Luke right centre, Dexter, left centre. Dexter, left. Rollett's going out. You can't see him. It's no good your coming here to try and fleece him this morning. I tell you, he's going out. Luke, coming down right centre. We'll wait and say goodbye to him, Jack. Baron, left centre. Ah, greedy Jack, greedy Jack. You want the bird all to yourself. Nine, nine. 
Then they're like, Herr Cranborn have a thing. Tom Gusset, he have the other thing. You and your fair daughter have the legs and I will have the breast. No, you shall have the bones after we're done with them. Make them into a stew. Keep a German baron for a week. Others laugh. Ah, tricky you hear. Motioning towards Clara and her father. Ah, the early birds, the early birds. Yes, we have to be. Rises and goes right, imitating him. The worms get up so orally nowadays. Enter Alan, lower left. Baron goes to meet him. Gusset puts him away and he turns up centre. Speaks to Dexter. Hello. Unexpected pleasure. Luke comes forward and greets Alan, centre. Gusset, right. Haven't seen you for an age, dear boy. No. Goes to Luke, right. I've been keeping pretty respectable of late. I, I mean, you know, I haven't been going out much. Tom and I are going over to Paris for the Vincennes meeting. We've come to see if you will join. Yes, do come. Then we can show you about Paris a bit, you know. Ah, yes, and we shall be able to get you into one or two things in the betting line if you are with us. We can introduce you to some friends of ours. Ah, be very kind of thee, I'm sure. They go on talking, right. Baron, aside to the Dexters, back of Clara. I say, Jack, my boy, how long have you been colonel? I did not know you was a militaire. Papa joined the Salvation Army around the same time that you were raised to the German peerage. Don't talk so loud, my dear Baron. Good, good. Luke sits downstage right with back to audience, looking at betting book. Gusset to Alan Wright. Of course, we shall take care of your interests as if it was for ourselves. Baron comes and puts arm in Alan's. Of course they will take care of your interests for themselves. Come here. You know I have been thinking about you so much of late, yeah. Ah, very kind of thee, I'm sure. Yeah, I say to myself, my friend Rollet, I always call you my friend. My friend Rollet, I say he is a good fellow. He has money, all he wants is family. He must marry family. Gusset goes to Dexter, left centre. Dexter goes centre and tries to hear conversation. Baron notices it and crosses right with Alan. Now, Miss Dexter, she is a nice girl, Ach, such a nice girl. But she has no family. No, not yet. Luke gets near fireplace right. Baron right, seeing it after a while. Ah, nine, nine. I do not mean what you mean. I mean family, the other way. Backwards, deadens. Oh. Yeah, now there is my niece. Look at her family. Look at her ancestors. All barons, German barons. And she's such a nice girl. So beautiful, so plump, ach. I will introduce her to you. She will mash you so much, she... Enter Mrs. Rollett, Deborah behind her, lower left door. Seeing the room full, she stands by door, hesitatingly. Gusset, coming down and interrupting with a sneering laugh. Your nurse, Rollett, I think. Alan turns and sees them, then goes towards them. Yes, Mr. Gusset, the best nurse a man can have. My mother. Gusset, confused, but soon recovers himself and laughs it off. Colonel Dexter, Luke and Clara come forward to greet Mrs. Rollett and Deborah, left centre, 
and the customary ceremony, etc., is gone through, all speaking together. Clara, smiling pleasantly, shakes hands with Mrs. Rollett. Good morning, Mrs. Rowlett. You're looking so well and jolly. To Deborah. How are you, my dear? Between these two, the greeting is really strained and awkward, although outwardly pleasant enough. Clara kisses Deborah, but Deborah seems to shrink. She turns away. Clara notices this and follows Deborah as she turns away up centre with a meaning look. While it has been going on, the greeting between Mrs. Rollett and Luke has taken place. Mrs. Rollett down left. Alan, finishing his introduction of Mrs. Rollett and Baron. The Baron von Schnorr. Mrs. Rollett, my mother. Your mother? Oh, impossible. I beg your pardon, Mr. Snort. Ah, yeah, you're laughing at me, not your mother. Yes, his mother. Don't you cast any of your nasty foreign insinuations upon me. I'm his lawful married mother, and his father was his father, and a better man never lived as anyone in Exmoor. It's all right, mother. The baron only means it complimentary. Thee's supposed to look too young to be anybody's mother. He has to take thee for my sister. Laughing. Goes up left centre with Dexter. Yeah, I take you for his sister. Ach, you English ladies, you never seem to get more old. You only get more round, more, more jolly. Ah, foolishness. Ruffling her dress and sitting very stiff, left on sofa. Baron, sitting on sofa beside her. It must be the climate keep you so moist. Drawing closer. I know a man. He lives in your Manchester and... Goes on talking to Mrs. Rollett, but is not heard. Alan goes up and joins Colonel Dexter up left centre and Clara. After a little while, Colonel Dexter appropriates him, leaving Clara a little to right of them unnoticed. Gusset continues talking to Deborah, Deborah evidently bored and anxious to get away, Gusset trying to be very agreeable. At this point, when all the others are occupied, Luke Wright beckons Clara to him and she crosses. Their conversation is in eager undertones, and they watch to see no one is noticing them. Have you got him to join yet? No, he kicks against it. If his name isn't down on the list of directors before Monday, I shall be arrested. Can't you get away? No, I'm watched night and day. If he joins, the company will float and it will be all right. I shall be seeing him alone this morning. I'll try again. And keep to playing golden diamonds for presents? Touching her bracelet. Those falal things are no good. Don't fetch ten percent of their value. Deborah, part of the conversation between herself and Gusset, abstractedly, her attention being fixed on Luke and Clara. <laughs> that was very funny. Gusset, right with Deborah, looks at her in amazement. Luke, down right. There's that milkmaid watching us. Don't look around. Answer as though I had been proposing to you. That will account for our talking together. Is there no hope for me? Clara, smiling. None. Luke, please don't refer to the subject again. I like you, respect you, will be a sister to you, but love... Luke, grinning. Yes, it's that Rollet that you love. 
Deborah, followed by Gusset, has moved away to window. Mr. Cranburn, you have no right. Luke, who has been watching Deborah. Chuck it up. It's all right. She's gone to the window. I don't suppose we've deceived her very much. She's a sharp little minx. Get these men away. Clara takes up book and, standing, toys with it upright, front of right centre table. She never leave her bed for 18 years. She take three doses, then she get up and go for a three-mile walk. Mrs. Rollett, rising. Laura, it must have been quite a change for her. Baron, rising. Yeah, it was a miracle. Turning and seeing Luke beside him. Ha! My dear boy, ready? Luke crosses to Baron. Ready and off. Alan, coming down centre, followed by Dexter. Oh, are you three going? Yes, I know you'll be glad to be rid of us. Well, I have. Looking at watch. Uh, One or two little things to do this morning. Well, look here, Alan. I'm just going to have a quiet weed in the smoking room till you're ready. See? Oh, it be a billiard room now, do you know? Oh, have you had a table put up? Clara, who has just crossed over and joined the group left, to Mrs. Rollett, who is just about quitting the room by door left lower. Do you allow your little boy to play billiards, Mrs. Rollett? I don't think I should if I had charge of him. Oh, the more he's up to every sort of game that's played, the better for him, to my thinking. Exit, Mrs. Rollett, left. (laughs) Oh, it keeps me at home out of mischief-like. Come and have a look at it. Baron, as they go... Ach, billiards is a beautiful game. Aside to Luke... But you cannot win much at it. It takes so damn long. Exeunt all but Gusset and Deborah left, all talking as they go. Gusset and Deborah near fireplace. Well, I'm afraid, Mr. Gusset, I really must go now. Goes down stage. Gusset, getting between her and the door left, to which she is backing... Oh, no, don't go. Do you know I shall really think you're trying to avoid me? Deborah, retreating behind table. Gusset takes a step. Oh, not at all. Ah, so pleasant to hear you say so. You know, Miss Deacon, I so want you to like me. Yes, well... I do very much, only I can't stop to do it now, because you see, Aunt wants me. Move centre upstage. Gusset stops her. Business of Deborah trying to get away, and of Gusset cutting her off and trying to get near her, is kept up throughout the scene. Ah, but your aunt sees so much of you, and I can see so little. I'm afraid there's not very much more of me to see. I must go, really, because we have got to do some shopping this morning. Ah, let me come with you. Oh, no, I won't tax your kindness. I know you men hate shopping, and we are going into drapers and dressmakers and all sorts of dreadful places. Ah, they will not be dreadful if you are there, Miss Deacon. And Aunt always takes such a long time shopping. Never can make up her mind, and I'm worse still, and... 
makes movement. Gusset moves behind Settle and stops her down left. Ah, the longer you take, the better I shall like it. I shall enjoy coming, I assure you. Deborah, getting more and more cross, comes right centre. Well, you know, I really don't think you will. And really, Mr. Gusset. Ah, I know better. No, I quite insist upon coming. Ah, all right, Mr. Gusset. You shall. Crossing left meets Mrs. Rollett just entering left. Aunt, I want you. Turning her round again. Why, whatever's the... I'll tell you. Come along. Exeunt Mrs. Rollett and Deborah left. Gusset, right, turns and arranges his moustache in glass over chimney. Might do worse, Gussie, my boy. Turns round again. She's not a bad little thing. Lick her into shape a bit. Enter Luke, upper left. Luke, crossing to table and taking up his hat. Coming? Oh, dear boy. Got a little job on. Oh, on the warpath. Yes. Well, I may as well keep it in hand. Chawbacon will make her good for a thousand or two, I expect, if nothing better turns up. Yeah. Wish you luck. She'll be a good match for you, I think, Gussie. Exit Luke Centre. Enter Mrs. Rollett and Deborah, lowered or left. Both are wearing old-fashioned big country shawls and big bonnets. Deborah evidently has on one of her aunts. Their dress altogether is extravagant, as comedy will permit, and has evidently been hastily put on. Deborah also carries a big country handbasket covered with a cloth, the neck of a bottle sticking prominently out, and a huge gamp. Deborah smothering her laughter. We are quite ready, Mr. Gusset. Yes, we are quite ready. Gusset, who has regarded them with a horrified stare. Ah, oh, yes. If you will wait a minute, I think I will call a cab. Oh, we'd rather walk, thank you. You would rather walk, wouldn't you, Aunt? Oh, I've made up my mind for a walk. Yes, we would both rather walk. Will you give your arm to Auntie, Mr. Gusset? Gusset crosses to centre. And be very careful of her at the crossings, because she's rather nervous, and so am I. Deborah, right centre, handing the basket to Gusset. You won't mind carrying the basket, will you, Mr. Gusset? Because it's so heavy. He takes it, bewildered and helpless. As Gusset, Deborah, and Mrs. Rollett reach door centre, Enter Alan and Clara, left up entrance. Hello, where be they off to? Down Regent Street and up Piccadilly, I think you call it. Goodbye. Exeunt Mrs. Rollett, Deborah and Gusset, centre. Clara comes left. <laughs> I should like to be there to see the Honourable Tom Gusset at the crossings. Ah, here be a madcap. Her be, that girl. What makes thee so anxious that I should join the company? 
Clara, sitting left on sofa, Alan stands by her, behind sofa, leaning over. Why don't you see? Poor Papa could be secretary if you joined. They would let you nominate him, and we should be so glad to be earning something. And we are so poor. Laying her hand on him. Do join, Alan, for my sake. Alan, yielding, back of sofa. Ah, thee don't know how hard thee makes it for me to say no. Then don't say it. It would make me so happy. Looking up at him. It would? Clara, laying her hand as if unwittingly on his. And I should think you. Drooping her head. Ah, I'd better not say what I should think you. Ah, well, lass, if you wish it, I will then. You will, really? Yes, if it will make thee happy, I will. And now let's talk about yourself. Sits left next to Clara. Thee is the company I most wants to join. How have thee been getting on? Clara, looking down. Oh, dear. What does, oh, dear, mean? Oh, dear means very bad. Debts. With assumed bewilderment. Awful. Alan, smiling. What sort of debts? Oh, all sorts. Tradespeople, you know, and all that, and then I thought I could win a little by betting. Alan rises. And put it all right. And I've been and lost. Oh, dear. I should have thought there were enough fools among us men trying to win money that way. I am naughty, I know. But Papa leaves everything to me, and I get so frightened when I see the debts mounting up and nothing to meet them, and I've no one to advise me. Alan, after a pause, rises, goes to Clara. I didn't mean to speak unkind, lass. I'm full of old-fashioned notions about women, I suppose. I like them to be women, not mere men in petticoats. How much does the owe? Oh, heaps. Handing him pocketbook. Look. Alan crosses to right and sits at table. And I haven't any money. Rising and looking over his shoulder right as he examines the book. Do you think they'll put me in prison? Oh, there ought to be taken in charge by somebody, that's certain. Alan rises, puts some notes from his pocketbook into hers and hands it back to her. I owe your father a little over one or two bets. I can take it off that and give him the rest, like. Clara takes book and lays it on the table. The notes drop out onto the table. You are good, Alan, really. Puts book on table right. Half to herself. I wish sometimes that you weren't. That you were more like other men I have met. Turning away right. Why? Would thee like me better? No, but I should like myself better. What do thee mean, lass? Nothing. I'm not used to your sort of men. Goes to fireplace then, upright, throwing off her seriousness and turning towards him. You are like the knight, Alan, out of some old legend that comes and slays the dragon and sets the frightened princess free from all her trouble. Alan goes to table right, Clara, right centre, at top of table. When art thee going to give me the right to be thy knight, always? Clara sits at table playfully. Ah, the gallant knights are apt to turn into grim jailers. 
when they get the princess into their own castles. Can't thee believe me, Clara? Trust me, lass. I'm only a rough country chap to be asking a beautiful lady like thee to be my wife. But if I can't give thee anything very showy on the outside, it will make me the more eager always to keep a loving heart for thee within. Oh, no. A lover on his knees is so much nicer than a lover on your arm. You're so nice, Alan, as you are. You can't think. I really couldn't bring myself to risk a change. It would be a change for thee, Clara. Leans on table at back of Clara, puts hand on Clara's chair. From a rough and troubled road to one where every stone were smoothed away from your path, where every thorn were held back as you passed, where, instead of care for the day and dread for the morrow, thee would feel that a strong arm were around thee, that a loving hand were working out thy life for thee. Cannot thee risk the change, Clara? Clara rises. Alan takes her right hand. Ah, I suppose there are such lives for some women. It must be very good when you are tired. And you, Alan, women do not always seem so charming after marriage as they did before. It might be a risk for you. To have the sweetest, noblest woman in the world to be my wife? I'll risk that. Ah, you boys. You think all women are angels. Well, so they are. A good woman is an angel. Clara, at fire, facing round and looking at him. How do you know I am good? A pause. Alan looks in surprise and inquiry at her, not knowing what to answer. Hadn't you better make sure, Alan? What do you know of my past, of even my present, of whence I came, what I am? Suppose, Alan, suppose I were only an adventuress, a woman with the blood of sharpers and thieves in her veins, whose nursery was the gambling house, whose school was the cafe and the boulevards, a woman who earned her daily bread by shamelessness and cunning, a woman whose past would ever follow like a shadow, the footsteps of her life, whose future must ever be a darker shadow still. Ah, Alan, take care. Cupid ties a bandage over men's eyes. Hymen, when it is too late, plucks it off. Hadn't you better lift a corner of the handkerchief, Alan, while we are yet upon the step without, lest beside your hearth, when the door has shut us in, you cast it loose, to find I am a stain upon your name. A shadow in your home? A blight upon your life? Alan... Take care. Take care. Alan, recovering from the bewilderment with which he has heard her. Ah, it's well for thee that it is thee, and not any one else, that talks like this about thee. Ah, but Alan, try and find out a little more about me. It's just a whim of mine. I want to feel sure that you know me, just to please me. If I couldn't trust thee... Takes her hand. Lass, I shouldn't love thee. Ah, you are a good fellow, Alan, and I won't tease you any more. And you will join the company, won't you? And then you shall get me that dear little diamond bracelet that we looked at. Do you remember it? And you shall put it on yourself. 
All this is said with every trick of fascination at her command, and now she playfully holds up her arm, from which the loose sleeve falls back, close to his face. On that. He drops on his knees and kisses her arm. Enter Deborah Centre. Clara snatches her arm away. Deborah! Alan rises, turning and seeing her, goes to fireplace right. Hello. He's back soon. Yes, Aunt met Mrs. Clowder just outside, so I pleaded a headache and left them. Throwing off bonnet and shawl on chair and coming down. Don't you think Colonel Dexter would like a game of billards, Alan? No, he's all right. He's smoking. Oh, I'm sure he'd like a game. Clara motions Alan away. I want to have a chat with Miss Dexter. We shan't see each other after this morning, for goodness knows how long. Ah, I understand now. Goes up stage left. I'll go, and you can tell each other about your new frocks. Exit Alan left. Deborah and Clara look at each other. I came back to see you, Miss Dexter, before you left. It was very good of you. I want to know whether you are playing the fool with Alan, or whether you mean to marry him. I have heard of that sort of question being put to a gentleman under certain circumstances. It is put to the person who is supposed to be acting dishonorably. I put it to you. I am afraid I have been mixing things up. I was under the impression that it was the stout lady, your aunt, that was Mr. Rowlett's mother. You are very smart, Mrs. Dexter, and I am not. But this is no game. It is earnest. Then I would suggest to you that your cousin is quite capable of taking care of himself. Yes, against a man. But not against the woman he loves and trusts. It is his love that enables you to deceive him. Clara sits on chair near table right. You seem to have made up your mind, my dear child, that I am deceiving him. I know that he has asked you to become his wife, and I know that although you have let him think it is all right, you have never given him a real answer. I know that you accept his intentions, his invitations, his presence. Noticing the book and notes on the table points to them. And all the while, you are having whispered interviews and secret meetings with another man. Clara, coolly counting notes. If you are thinking of the conversation you were trying to listen to just now... That is only the latest of many such I have noticed. They began three months ago, down in Devonshire. I come to London and find the same thing going on. You really ought to have been a detective. The force might have been some use then. I'm not blind. Alan is. But that is not all. These things might be explained by themselves, suspicious though they are. But just now, going downstairs, I picked up a purse. Pausing and looking at Clara, who, however, makes no sign. It is your purse. Throws it into Clara's lap. I opened it to see whom it belonged to, and inside is a wedding ring. Is your name Dexter or Cranborn? I really must decline to answer any questions of yours. You are so exceedingly rude. You need not answer me. Answer Alan. Tell him that you will be his wife or that you cannot. Clara takes no notice. Do you refuse? 
I refuse to be dictated to. Then I shall communicate my suspicions to Alan. Do so. Tell him that you believe that I am the wife of another man and am playing a shameful part with him merely to sponge on him, that I am fondling him with the one hand only the better to pick his pocket with the other. Tell him that you believe he is surrounded by a gang of adventurers and thieves, of which I am the willing decoy. Tell him your suspicions, and I will tell them that they are the poisonous concoctions of a jealous woman, of a woman who loves him herself and seeks to win him from her more favoured rival by lies and trickery. You shall answer him for all that, or he shall know the reason why you dare not. Crosses left and calls. Alan! Alan! Enter Alan, left upstage. Alan, is Miss Dexter engaged to be married to you, or not? Well, blessed if I could tell her that, Deb. That be the very thing I've been trying to find out myself. Ain't it, Clara? Only her be such a tease. You mean you have never been able to get a plain answer? Yes or no? Gently, lass. Thee be mistaken this for some business of thine. Alan, we've been like brother and sister all our lives, and your happiness is my happiness. I have my reasons, very strong reasons, for asking you to ask Miss Dexter now, before me, whether she will be your wife. I can't say I thank thee, Deb, for interfering in a matter that don't concern thee. To Clara, crossing to her. I hope, Clara, you don't think as I've had any hand in this. But as things stand now, it will perhaps be best if I do ask thee. Will thee be my wife? Clara crosses down. Yes! Stepping forward and putting her hand in Alan's centre. A pause. She then, glancing first at Deborah, draws Alan slowly to her, and they kiss. They cross right. I think now, Deb, that Miss Dexter has a right to know thy reasons. They were mistaken ones, Alan. Please forgive me, both of you. Exit Deborah left. Alan, bewildered, looks after Deborah. What does it all mean? I will tell you sometime, never mind now. Ah, well, us oughtn't to be angry with her. Anyhow, for what her's done. Takes Clara's hand in his. Oddus? Draws her to him and kisses her forehead. Clara, disengaging herself gently. I am going to tell Papa. I am so happy. Crosses left, looking back to him laughingly. Exit Clara, left upstage. Alan, centre, after a pause. Everything I want in the whole wide world. And three months ago... Breaks off and passes his hand over his eyes. I wonder if I shall wake up in a minute in the old farm and find that the two hundred thousand pound and Clare have only been dreams. Rising himself. Ah, no. It be real enough. Looks round. Ah, they call fortune a fickle jade. But her's been a firm friend to me. I'll drink thee a bumper, fortune lass. Turns to table right, on which there are wine and glasses, and pours out a glassful. I don't know how much a bumper is, 
but I expect it's about a glass full, and thee shall have it. Takes glass in his right hand and raises it. Here's thy jolly good health, my lass, to Lady Fortune. Enter Peters, centre upper door, with card on salver. Alan, lowers glass untouched. What's the matter? Peters, coming forward and presenting salver. A gentleman to see you, sir. Alan, takes card, but does not look at it. He'll have to be quick about it, then. Send him up. Footman seems to hesitate. Send him up, send him up. Exit Peters, centre. Another of my swell friends, I suppose. They seem to be a swarm in this. Glances at Card. His hand holding the glass sinks lower and lower. He gazes round, bewilderingly. Reads Card in amazed tone. Richard Hanningford. I saw him lying dead before my own eyes three months ago. Enter Richard Hanningford, centre. Hanningford, at door, raising hat. I beg your pardon? The glass in Alan's hand overturns. Medium curtain. End of Act Two.